Welcome to Power Up, a podcast show hosted by Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio that brings life to some of the stories on Power Electronics technologies and products featured on PowerElectronicsNews.com and through other as Pencor Media publications. In this show, you'll hear both engineers and executives discuss news, challenges, and opportunities for power electronics in markets such as automotive, industrial, and consumer. Here is your host, editor-in-chief of PowerElectronicsNews.com and eeweb.com, Maurizio Di Paolo Emilia. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of PowerUp. Today we will talk about Fusion. Global power demand is expected to double by 2040 and could increase fivefold by 2060 as electrification expands to new applications. One solution for meeting that demand, currently under R&D by researchers around the globe, is to build nuclear fusion power plants capable of supplying grid-scale electricity with zero emissions of climate-altering gases. I am here with Dr. Neil Mitchell, former director of the Eder Magnet Development Initiative and Glenn Wireb, director of the Manhattan 2 project. ITER is a $25 billion effort to build a large fusion reactor in France. Dr. Mitchell oversaw the development of the magnets and is currently an advisor to the ITER Director General. He has over 40 years of experience with fusion. The Manhattan 2 project identifies the lowest cost way to solve climate change and Glenn has published over 25 articles on this topic. Glenn is going to interview Neil Mitchell to talk about fusion energy. Hello everyone. This podcast explores how a government or a foundation could potentially resolve climate change with a billion dollar a year sized R&D program that accelerates the development of fusion power, where the goal is to produce commercial fusion this decade. We define commercial fusion as the making of electricity at a cost comparable to natural gas or coal-based electricity. This would require a fusion reactor to produce more electricity than it consumes reliably and at low cost. Currently, commercial fusion is not expected until the 2030s. However, with more money, it could appear sooner, perhaps. Nations under great pressure sometimes spend money to bring a technology to market quickly. For example, the United States commercialized space in the 2000s and COVID vaccine development in 2020. Global decarbonization will cost many trillions of dollars. Therefore, it is reasonable to spend billions of dollars to accelerate commercial fusion, provided it actually works. There are two types of nuclear power. One is fission, the other is fusion. Fission is your traditional nuclear power plant that currently makes electricity. It is not popular in many countries due to meltdown risk, nuclear waste, nuclear bomb proliferation risk, and cost. Alternatively, the newer type, fusion, does not have these problems. However, it is still in development. Dr. Mitchell, welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. So. Let's begin with the question, how much money would it cost to get commercial fusion 
working this decade, in your opinion? And if you had this money, what would you do with it? Uh, so what we, we want here is certainly more funding. And I, I think you, you're well over the $500 million a year here. What, what level you go to upwards depends on, on which challenges you set. But public procurements tend to push to, to, to low risk. If you wish to go fast on fusion, you'll have to have high risk. And if you want a high risk, you'll have to accept that some of this money is going to be wasted. I mean, in the early days of the, the Apollo program, for example, I mean, you were shooting off several rockets, but there were quite a few failures down the line on that. Yeah, mm -hmm. And you have to allow the same thing here in your parallel development. If you're going to build a commercial fusion reactor, you're going to need thousands of people. You, I mean, you can't suddenly start with a program that's spending 500 million or, or, or a billion a year. You, you have to ramp up your expenditure or you'll waste it. You, you have to build up an infrastructure. You have to build up companies that can that can provide you your, your, your components on an industrial scale. I mean, we have a, a lot of experience in ITER for this, where we developed the low temperature superconductors with, with when we started in the mid nineties, a negligible industrial base. And at the end, we were producing something over a hundred tons a year of this material. Now, uh, I think here you're going to need actually three reactors. First of all, is going to be a, 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 a kind of, I suppose you can call it a proof of principle reactor. It's something that achieves a nuclear plasma. It would be fairly high Q. It doesn't have to be ignited, but it, it will show that, that you, can, you can get a fusing plasma and you can control it for a reasonable amount of time. Uh, in the US, I think at the moment, it, it would be something similar to Spark. It probably hasn't got a breeding blanket. Uh, heat extraction would be limited. So the second device has to be, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a reactor. So the, it, it would be a bit bigger and it would, be, it would have the breeding blanket required to make the tritium to make itself sufficient. Uh, and most important, it would set the basis for uh, the, the, the third reactor, which would be the com commercial one. Seems to me that Eater uh, is a, a large fusion reactor that was designed in the 1990s. And then building it is, I mean, it's 30 year, call it a 30 year project or more. And it seems like there's a lot of talent and money that is put into building this. Whereas if you had a, let's say a, your top scientists with money who were making decisions week to week, where they're, they're doing a lot of development in parallel and they're throttling the money uh, to the various, let's say, groups working on the various things, then they don't end up with something that's obsolete by the time they're finished. Right, because they're making changes as they're going along. That, that, in the that's design. right. Yeah, yeah. ETA ETA was set up uh, as as an international partnership, and and once the design was agreed, it's fixed. You can't change it. It's ETA is not an agile project. It was it, it's constrained because it has to meet a lot of expectations from the dis different stakeholders, and it's constrained because the the basic concept was fixed twenty years ago now, and we can't change it because it's just you, you, the, the project doesn't work that way. I think what we need something now is to be agile. We, we, have, to, we have to adapt as we go. 
And mm-hmm. the, the eater doesn't permit that. I understand. If you've got, let's say, a, a brilliant scientist who's, let's say, designed the fusion reactor in China and another one who's brilliant scientist that designed a fusion reactor in England, and these are, they've published over 100 papers each. And generally speaking, top scientists and engineers, they don't, there's a saying, they don't suffer fools gladly, meaning if they see something that's not working, they'll just shake their head, say it's no good. I'm not going to continue working on that. You know, they, they'd be pretty tough about cutting down the engineering projects that are not bearing fruit, right? And being agile. I mean, it's their uh, nature to be agile. I, I mean, if, I, if, given, if they're given power. I, yes, if they're given power, but but it, the projects I've seen that so far have tend to uh, you, you've got the money and you've got a, a framework and you 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 have to work within it, which tends to discourage people. It discourages innovation, and it, it discourages change. You have sort of two things. One is a big development project where you have a business plan that you put together, and then you work on something over twenty years, and you you don't you have no agility, very little agility. That's one way of doing things. That's the traditional way of doing things. The other way of doing things is you've got these the top fusion scientists that, you know, they get grumpy. You know, they see something not work. It takes them about a second or so to say, oh, cut that thing. It's not working. Yeah. It's just, oh. it's, and they would say, look, I don't even see why we're doing this. We, 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 we see that it's not working. Stop doing it. By nature, they would be agile if they were given power. You have a project where they're they're in charge. They have power. They're given money and everybody is instructed but, to provide them with maximum support. But but you have to be careful. You don't get into the sort of the principle of trying to herd cats here. We have to put some damper on it. Sometimes you just have to try harder. Sometimes you need to decide that you've reached the end of the road and go to something else. And it's here that you need your 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 steering from a, from a I mean essentially some sort of committee or groups that has to be set up. You want agi- controlled agility and to stop it becoming a dinosaur. So if you have your top, let's say, scientists with power, they've got to make the right decisions. They've got yeah. to decide, are we at yeah. the end of our rope or do we just yeah. need to try harder? But then That's the question is, well, who makes these decisions? And I, it seems like this, the, the most talented fusion scientists in the world are probably the best. Yes, uh, with the with the reservation that you have to be careful with vested interest. You think you're developing a, a new fighter jet or something. You you have three prototypes. Well, if two of them don't meet the, the flight acceptance test, they're dropped and you go to the other one. But in the end, you have to focus. If we look at the different groups, let's say there's five to 10 groups worldwide working on commercial, on, on fusion and they hold patents and there's thousands of patents total. And if you're building a, a, a commercial fusion reactor, you probably need access to technology held by, you know, five to 10 organizations. So you've got to get, correct me if I'm wrong, you've got to get access to all that technology. In other words, you need for them to work together. Yes. Uh, and you need this, for them to collaborate on development. You need for them to share revenue. Yes from whatever is built, they need to be willing to take all their patents and put them, make them available to others. There's all sorts of things that have to be done to get to pool these resources. 
Yes, that, that that's right. You, you patents are always a, a problem, or, or you know, they're always a problem. I mean, I mean, you can call it intellectual property. In the, uh, of course, people don't want to give up what they've invented. But on the other hand, if there isn't some scheme to give it up, you can't progress, and you end up that you don't build a, a fusion reactor simply because the patents are all held, and people won't won't collaborate to put them together. This has to be uh, a negotiation. Association that, that's agreed at the start. If you want to get into a patent war during the engineering, you'll get stuck for years. You, you have to have a grand bargain, but you have to be careful that, that working out the grand bargain bargain through the the legal processes and the lawyers doesn't take longer than developing commercial fusion yeah? the uh, some patents are valuable some are others are easy to get around i mean there are there are there are many ways of engineering a fusion reactor value of the patent is in how much extra it costs you to go around it there may be a very few where it, it is particularly critical i i don't think that that a commercial fusion reactor will turn out to be patent driven. I, I think we we've got we've got nature to fight first before we get onto the patents. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, if we if we don't collaborate on fighting nature and 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 working out how to do it, the, the patents won't matter. So, you don't get paid for uh, on your patent. Yes, until somebody manufactures the commercial fusion reactor and sells it, then. If you're a patent yeah. holder, you can say, ah, oh, I want a percentage yeah. of, of what you just sold. Yeah. But if that occurs 20 years from now, your patent will is, have expired yeah. by then. So you're not getting anything. Yeah. So if you're a patent holder, it, then it's in your best interest to work with whoever is, is putting yes, together it, commercial. It, exactly. Fusion. It sounds like you want to be part of the negotiation panel. Yes. Well, maybe you would be good at negotiating. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> If you have, let's say, entities that control patents, and let's say there's, I don't know, three to 10 or so entities of varying degrees, um, and one is CFS, and you have the CEO of CFS, and they could assign an individual person that speaks for them, and Eater could have one person that they assign to speak for Eater. And if you've got your entities, and then you have people that have been assigned to speak for those entities, then they can get on Zoom once a week and have conversations and talk about, you know, how can we get this moving before everything expires and we end up with zero? Um, That's right. Yes. You, you have to put a, a penalty on negotiating forever. Right. Otherwise you will. Yes. And I think, I think everybody realizes that. And I think also for climate change, they realize that um, you want to look at ways of accelerating. Mm. development and and also that involves every if every engineer has access to everybody else's technology then that I, means they I, I can more easily uh work it, on commercial fusion and it's also interesting that with decarbonization which is over the next 30 years or so where the plan is to stop emitting co2 and that involves replacing existing infrastructure with green infrastructure that does not emit co2 and and if you look at how much that cost, you're looking at maybe $100 trillion worldwide that spent over uh, 30 years. And uh, if you have, let's call it $100 trillion, and you reduce that cost by 10% and save $10 trillion, then, well, okay, that you're saving money. 
And if you can spend billions of dollars to save trillions, then it's reasonable. So it does, there is a, a reason for why uh, large foundations and governments might be willing to accelerate fusion with money. But then the question I think for them is, oh, how does that work? You know, where's the money going? Uh, and, you know, what are the various relationships of the various entities and how do you marshal your resources? Um, so it seems at the moment, the, the thing that's missing is the, the, let's call it the proposal for how this comes together. Be helpful if there was a document that listed the engineering that needs to be developed in, in, a, in a way where, where you summarize each, each engineering step is summarized in maybe one paragraph with a picture. Yeah, pretty much like that. Yes, that you you look at the issues, and uh, you want to get a bit of a global view. And uh, it's not just the superconducting magnets, of course. You have to look at the uh, the plasma control parts, the the the, the nuclear radiation, the the maintenance, the the repairs, this kind of thing. But it, uh, maybe ten article items with 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 a, a paragraph summarizing what you have to do. This is all very fascinating and important. Dr. Mitchell, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to state my opinions, and I hope it leads to something. Thank you, Neil and Glenn. Given ambitious climate change targets, attention is turning to cleaner energy sources in order to achieve a green transition. Investing only in renewable energy sources, on the other hand, may not be uh, sufficient to ensure an economically reliable and secure energy supply. The energy that uh, propels the stars is called fusion. Our sun is a massive fusion device. Hydrogen atoms travel at extraordinary speed in the sun's core. Hydrogen atoms combine to form a heavier helium atom. Energy is uh, released then in the form of light and heat. From early demonstrations to the achievement of long fusion plasma duration times, along with the ultimate goal of plasma break-even, when plasma releases at least as much energy as is required to hit them, incremental progress has been reported over the last several decades toward practical fusion energy. Still, the conditions for fusion to occur on Earth, as well as obtaining a constant positive energy gain, remain difficult to achieve. If the ITER project achieves its goals, DEMO will be the next one to the ITER experimental reactor. Transitioning to DEMO requires connecting the reactor to the grid and producing up to 500 megawatt of net electricity. While ITER must demonstrate that more energy can be obtained from plasma than is consumed, DEMO must demonstrate electricity production from fusion. That brings us to the end of this episode. Stay tuned with more news and technical aspects about power electronics. If you are listening to this on the podcast page at etimes.com or powerelectronicsnews.com, links to articles on topics we have discussed are shown in this page. Power Up is brought to you by Aspencore Media, the host is Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio, and the producer is James Eid. Thank you everyone for listening. See you next episode. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.